The Church Fellowship of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut is pleased to bring you this edition of Shi'ar Jeshub, featuring the teaching ministry of our pastor, Greg Scalzo. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and I hope you have been enjoying this Through the Bible study, which we have entitled Heavenly Authority. Today, my husband will be concluding a sermon from this series taken from 1 Samuel chapter 14. Jonathan, the son of King Saul, has been used by God to begin a great victory against the invading Philistine army. After a long battle and not knowing of his father's oath, Jonathan eats some honey that is graciously provided by the Lord and his strength is renewed. But Saul has sworn that any man who eats any food until evening, until he has taken vengeance on the Philistines, is under a curse. Then, when God does not answer the Israelites, Saul makes another rash oath, this time that anyone who is responsible shall surely die. The scene is set for the priests to consult God by Urim and Thummim, and sadly, in verse 42, Jonathan is selected. Now, let's rejoin Pastor Greg. By faith, we can start to establish a law apart from God that even though it's a worthless law, even though God, it's not God's heart's desire, God never wanted it, God would never give it, yet if we establish it by faith, if we say, well, I must do this, this, and this, and then we break it, it becomes as sin for us. That's why we have to be very careful what we speak and what we teach. That's why teaching in the church is so important. That's why clean, pure doctrine, not Jezebel, Thyatira doctrine, with all the mysteries and all the murkiness and the darkness mixed in, that no one can tell what's from God and what's the traditions of men, why pure teaching, pure doctrine is so important in the church. That's why the apostles in the early church were so important to preserve the teaching of Jesus Christ and not let it get contaminated, not have contamination come in. Because it becomes a law unto itself. He's proclaimed it. He's made a vow before Yahweh. He's called down death upon anyone as the king. Remember, he's a representative of Israel. In the name of Yahweh, he's called down death upon anyone who's responsible for stopping the blessing. And he stopped the blessing by his crazy first oath. So between his first oath and his second oath, he's condemned his son really to death. Jonathan would have made a good king. Jonathan would have been a, a good replacement for his father. And Saul has condemned him here. And the casting of the, the casting of the Urim and the Thummim before the Lord as that supernatural power comes down shows it was Jonathan who ate. He was the first one long before the people. And then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. That's all I did. Saul made something good, bad, something made for righteousness, a sin. So now he says, I must die because the father's made this oath before Yahweh. 
Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. So Saul's going to keep it up. He's going to go, he's going to keep his oath and he's going to kill Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? They finally speak up. Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, they make a vow now. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So here's Saul, he has a vow as the king before God, that whoever has tasted, the first one to taste, shall surely die. And they make a vow that Jonathan shall surely live. So what's going to happen? Is Saul going to take on the whole tribe of Israel? So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Saul has to give in. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. How foolish he looks. How stupid he looks with these two oaths that he took. God has used the people to save Jonathan at this time. But the curse will follow to the point that the Philistines do kill Jonathan. How foolish he seems when God had anointed his ministry so much. How foolish so many ministries looked in the recent past when God anointed them with great power and the men became prideful like Saul and many times fought against the work of God to bring shame upon themselves. He seems like a weak king now. His oath is not fulfilled. What a terrible oath it was. That selection there, that of the Urim and the Thummim, you know, the nation of Israel on one side, Saul and Jonathan on the other. It's an eerie parallel to what we read chapters before with the selection of Saul as king. Remember, by the tribes of Israel will come up into the families of Israel, and the Urim and the Thummim are selecting Saul as king, anointing him with kingship and blessing. And this second consultation before Yahweh speaks of falling and shame and cursing. One is light and hope of what can happen now that they have this man that God selected and this speaks of darkness and despair and foreshadows a terrible, terrible end. And Saul would kill the very instrument of God's victory, his own son. Now they don't pursue it Saul returns from pursuing the Philistines. They know God has not answered them. They've lost the favor of God in this battle. They know they're not going to win. God would not answer. When he answers, he shows the reason why there's this favor, because there's, there's an oath that's not being fulfilled. Jonathan ate when Saul said, no one should eat. And death belongs to those who are responsible. And so they know the favor of the Lord is gone. And the Philistines have to leave the central part of Israel, but they go back to their homeland. They would have finished with this Philistine problem. The victory was limited because of Saul. What could have been a magnificent victory, a complete victory, is limited here, and they know they're not going to have success, and they turn back. There's something missing from this narrative when we read it. 
that stands out to me. We have what starts as a wonderful victory. And even in the midst of the sin of the people and their fear and their pits and their caves crossing over to Gilead, God is still merciful and he brings a wonderful victory through the hands of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And then it goes downhill with these oaths. And there's one thing missing in this whole section of chapter 14. No place do you hear Saul say, why did I do such a foolish thing? Now we'll see another king, David, will sin terribly. It's not going to be an oath. He's actually going to commit adultery. More than that, he's going to murder or cause the death of the husband of the woman he commits adultery to cover his own sin. But when he's confronted, when the word of God does come, like the word of God is revealed here by the selection, and the prophet comes in and shows him what he's done, David truly repents. And he doesn't repent with just some you know, phony tears, I have sinned, and you know the congregation goes, that's okay, and the person puts an act on. He really, really repents. And we have some beautiful psalms that come out of that repentance. So all sin, all fall short of the glory of God. But pride and arrogance keeps the person from saying what? I'm sorry. What did I do? Every human being sins. But the man after God's own heart is the man who wakes up, who arises and says, what did I do? And takes responsibility for his sin, for her sin, rather than being brazen and just looking to blame the Israelites. Did the Israelites do what they did? Did they eat the meat with the blood coming out of their mouths? Yes. But Saul should not have looked at them. He should have looked at Jonathan, who really did nothing. He made it sin by his oath that Jonathan, Jonathan was sinless in this matter. But he never, Saul never looks at himself. He never says, what do I do? He never cries like David cried. Rather, he says, okay, God's not with us, goes back, leaves the Philistines alone for a time. And we'll see that God still blesses his ministry, his kingship. Well, you read, if you read the end of chapter 14, we can't do it now, there are victories that Saul has. But we never hear those words, forgive me, Lord. Do not hold this thing against the people of Israel. I've done this foolish thing. I made an oath that could not be fulfilled. If you're going to hold it against someone, hold it against me, but forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. We don't see Saul put on sackcloth and ashes. If he did, you think Samuel would have come and God would have said Samuel and there would have been a, a cleansing? Certainly. But it's so hard to say we're wrong because it hurts our pride. It hurts our arrogance and our image of ourselves. What started this bad cycle, his arrogance, is keeping up to the very end. He's not broken by it. And you think of that humble young fellow that went around looking for the donkeys. 
who hid in the baggage and didn't consider himself anything, though he was so tall and so handsome and from a powerful family, how he's changed and become corrupted, how leadership can take young men who are idealistic and want to serve the Lord and turn them into arrogant egomaniacs if they don't learn the lesson from Saul. All he needed to do was repent, but we never read that he does. Heavenly Father, we pray that the account of Saul would be a warning to all your servants, Lord, to all your people. Father God, that we would humble ourselves, acknowledge our sins, acknowledge our evil ways, not just look at all the others who may have caused it or brought other things about, but focus on ourselves and be broken of pride and arrogance, Father God, that we would be true servants to you and that we could truly do those things you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you have enjoyed this unique series. And if you would like to join our fellowship for in-depth Bible study and answers to the difficult questions Christians must deal with in today's society, I invite you to join us for Sunday service at 10 a.m. at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take I-95 to exit 61. Go south to Route 1, turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. We are across from the James Madison Memorial. And as always, you can write to us at Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Join us next time as Pastor Greg Scalzo teaches from God's Holy Word.